This morning's scripture reading is from Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 5 through 13. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness, in an uninhabited salt land. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green, and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Like the partridge that gathers a brood that she did not hatch, so is he who gets riches, but not by justice. In the midst of his days, they will leave him, and at his end, he will be a fool. A glorious throne set on high from the beginning is the place of our sanctuary. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be put to shame. Those who turn away from you shall be written in the earth, for they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living water. These words are God's words. All the little ones can go down for junior church now. Thank you, Tyler. As Tyler said, little ones, you guys are dismissed. If you're open to Jeremiah, go ahead and hold on to that because that's where we are uh, studying together today. This is um, kind of a standalone sermon. We've just finished up nine weeks where we walked through and we did Jesus community and mission. And we, we just saw that one of the big questions for our lives is do we believe that Jesus and community and mission are optional events that we should attend at church or are they massive realities that God has called us all to? And I hope that we're all going to say no, they're massive realities that all of us are called to, to step forward to continue to move forward in. Today, I want to kind of wrap up this time um, by, by doing this sermon here from the book of Jeremiah. And um, I didn't realize how really poignant this would be in light of the events of what we've seen this week. Uh, if you're there in Jeremiah, hold on to that. But I know we were all met with the news uh, of what happened out in Colorado I know that that is something that is um, hard and stretching for any of us, and it should be hard and stretching for any of us to deal with. So, so part of what I want to do today is just begin and remind us as Christians what are really four key biblical insights that we should hold to as we look at this. Now, we need to make sure that we're careful as we talk this through with people. 
What, what I want to do is remind us of proper theology, since that's who we are as a group as we gather together today. Um, but, but this should be met with great compassion. This should be met with um, hope as we talk with people. But we need to be careful the way that we, that we come across on this, right? We need to be careful because as we stress biblical truth, it very well can come across to our world as people who, um, who are uncaring. It is very careful. It is easy for us to come across as people who do not believe in justice. So that's why I want to just bring these four uh, realities to us. And I want to remind us of this. This is going to tie right into what we saw in Jeremiah and allow us actually to explain a little bit about what happened out there in Colorado and what happens in, in all of our lives on a daily basis, okay? So that's our goal. So let me just pray for us, and then we're going to take a look at those four things. Father, we're asking for your help today. We're asking for your help today because we need it. We're asking for your help today because you are so willing to give it to us. Father, we're asking for your help today because we know that you are working and we're trusting you, God. So please help us. Do for us what is not just an intellectual exercise. Instead, work in us. Comfort us. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me just remind us, you know, the question that's popping up all over the place, uh, and it's an understandable question, is where is God in the middle of that kind of pain? Where is God in that kind of evil like we saw out in Colorado? Where, where is God in the middle of these things? I was talking to a friend of mine um, who I haven't had a chance to catch up with, but he's done at least two tours in Afghanistan. And um, he is uh, an, an upper-level guy. But we were talking about it, and one of his comments to me was, hey, you know, we, we complain about how hard our faith is. He says, but in Afghanistan, I've seen it where if somebody simply mentions that they're a Christian, he says, I've seen them shot on the spot. Where is God in that? Where is God in that? I, I talked to a father yesterday. And it was his son-in-law who was killed in that helicopter accident in Afghanistan recently. His, his, his daughter, who you know, was part of the youth ministry here, part of the church here, part of the homeschool co-op that met here. And, and we... we rightfully struggle with these things, don't we? If we don't, are we... <laughs> maybe we come across as inhuman. We should struggle with these. Well, I simply want to remind us of four things. I'm not going to remind us of everything. My goal is simply to just remind you and I biblically of truth so that we can continue to move forward. When we look at what happened there in, in Colorado, we remind ourselves, number one, that this was a great evil. And God is not passive, and God is not dispassionate about this. God is angry. God is angry that this young man, who with such cowardice and callousness, took the lives of many and wounded and terrorized so many more. 
We just need to understand God is angry. Genesis 9, 5-6, God said, Surely I will require your lifeblood from every beast. I will require it from every man, from every man's brother. I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man blood by man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made man. Please understand that God is not passive about this. The second truth that we need to understand, and these are difficult truths, but the second truth that we need to understand and hold to in a time like this is to realize that God planned the history of redemption. And part of the plan of the history of redemption is that he permitted sin to enter the world through our first parents, Adam and Eve. Did you get that? God did not sin. But to bring about the plan of redemption, God permitted sin to enter the world through our first parents. Why? In other words, we're saying that part of this was in the plan of God, that that this is a result of something that God permitted in Adam and Eve and, and we'll, we'll build on that in a second. But in 2 Timothy 1.9, the Apostle Paul said this, God saved us and called us to a holy calling. Okay, so here, here we have salvation. Not because of our works, but why? But because of His own purpose and because of His grace. Which, notice this, He gave us in Christ Jesus. So salvation comes through Christ Jesus. But when was that plan originated? Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.9, that same verse, the plan, this per, His own purpose, His own grace, which He gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. In other words, before there was any world or any sin in the world, God planned saving grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That means that God knew that Adam would sin. He was already planning how he would save us. Therefore, Adam's sin was part of God's plan so that God could reveal his mercy and his grace as well as his justice and his wrath and his patience and his wisdom in ways that could never have been revealed if there was no sin and there was no Savior And there was no history of salvation. God's aim for this fallen, broken world is that He be known more fully because knowing God most fully is what it means for us to be most fully loved. If you turn to Christ, you will discover God in more wonders in this fallen world than could be imagined in any other world. God's plan did not break down. This is not plan B. So the third truth that I think we need to cling to at a time like this, because that is true, because God revealed His grace in a broken world by sending His Son, and this has been His plan from the very beginning, it's not wise for us to speculate on why God would allow this great violation of His revealed will. It's not wise for us to sit there and go, why, God, why would you do this? Why would you let this happen? I realize that for some, especially those most intimately attached to it, this might be a question, but we have to be careful as we move forward with this because we do not know all the reasons why God did not step in and stop this when it was in His power to do just that. 
We do not know why God did not step in and just stop this, even though it was in his power to do this. The danger for us is that we may begin to sit in judgment of God rather than sitting under the teaching, the, under the, the explanation of God. Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all the words of this law. In spite of this, we are wise to trust that God is good and powerful and rules over and through the sin and the plans of sinful people. Let me say that again. In spite of this, we are wise to trust that God is good and powerful and rules over and through the sins and the plans of sinful people. In Lamentations 3.32, it says this, For if he causes grief, then he will have compassion according to his abundant loving kindness, for he does not afflict willingly or grieve the sons of men. We've got to believe in, in God's heart. What is the greatest picture of what I'm saying here? The greatest picture of what I'm saying in this point is Jesus. It did not look right. It was not right. God worked through the sinfulness of men to bring about the death of the Son of God. Why? Remember what the apostles thought? Remember what his followers thought? Where is God in this? Where was God in this? He was laying down his life to save in ways that they could not imagine. So it is wise for us to be careful. It is wise for us to be careful. Fourth truth I want to just remind us of, and this is all introduction, but it's important. Since rebellion against God was at the root of this murder in Colorado. Rebellion against God was at the root of that act of murder And since rebellion against God was at the root of this act of murder, let us all fear the same heart of faithlessness and rebellion and turn from it. And let us instead embrace the grace of God in Christ and renounce the very impulses that caused this tragedy. Since rebellion against God is at the root of his actions. Rebellion is at the root of actions of what happened in Syria. Uh, it's happening in Syria. The rebellion is at the root of the, of the heart of what's happening, what we hear about in Afghanistan. It, it, it's, it's what I was reading yesterday, that the, uh, there's untold millions that are missing in Somalia. And if you've ever been to an African country, it, it's not hard to understand that. Pretty much 70% of the world aid that has flowed into that country for road rebuilding and for food has been swallowed up. Where'd it go? Rebellion is at the root of the heart of all of this. And since that is there, we should be careful that we don't have that same faithless and rebellious heart. And instead, we should turn from it. And instead, embrace the grace of God in Christ and renounce the very impulses that caused this tragedy. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. 
Do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge Him and He will make your path straight. Psalm 9, verse 10, And those who knew your name will put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. So what I'm calling us to is to be people who will look at this and instead of standing in judgment of God, will step back and say, God, this actually says things about my heart. Now, this was unintended. Obviously, I didn't even know this was going to happen when we chose to preach on this passage uh, a month ago. But really, this passage will show us what happens inside the human heart. I'm calling it God's big picture. This isn't the big picture as in creation, uh, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. That that's, that's the big picture of everything God's doing. But Jeremiah is going to give us a big picture, a, a, an aerial view of what happens inside of the human heart. And I think it's incredibly helpful for us today. You could take the information we're going to look at, this kind of an image. I want to give us an image uh, that uh, Paul Tripp and Ted Lane put together that I think is really valuable for all of us in our lives. It will help us to understand ourselves a little bit better, and it will help us to understand our world a little bit better. It will help us to be better parents, and it will help us to be better spouses because it will help us to understand who we really are. It also is what's happening in this kid's mind, this this. You know, this doctoral, this, this, this guy who should have been a doctor, should have been helping people, but instead goes in and unleashes his own wrath on a crowd of people, killing 12 and hurting 50-something others, plus all the effects. It'll help us to understand what goes on inside of our own hearts as well. So that's why we want to look at this together today. So in Jeremiah chapter 17, let me just remind us of a few things uh, as we turn to this because we haven't laid a lot of background and we know that you know, the, the key rules for understanding a passage like this is always context, context, context. So let me just tell you this. A few things that we need to know is number one, Jeremiah had a very difficult life. He was called by God to be a prophet and through multiple kings and rulers, he carried out this message. He, he spoke what God called him to speak. He was a preacher. But let's also mention this, that his messages of repentance delivered at the temple, they were not well received. And you can imagine, most of us like to be well received. His hometown actually plotted against him. And he endured much persecution um, in the pursuit of his ministry. At God's command, he never married. A faithful preacher, he apparently only had two converts. Two. Two people that listened to what he said. Baruch, his scribe, and Ebed-Melech, an Ethiopian eunuch who served the king. These are the only two mentioned in the entire book who respond favorably to Jeremiah's preaching. So, so we're going to understand that here's a guy who is calling out 
to people, calling out to God's people. And a big part of his job is to actually tell them, listen, you are no longer walking in God's ways. He's faithful in that. Not because great success has touched him or because he had a million podcasts or because he had you know, real great influence during that day. Instead, it would have been, oh no, look, it's Jeremiah. Not him again. I don't want to listen to him preach. I don't, I don't like him. That would have been the flow of what was going on during the day. That is the context here. In fact, if you were to start at, Gen- at uh, Jeremiah chapter 17, to summarize this, what he's talking about is the sin of Judah, the sin of God's people, the sin of the kings who followed in David's lineage. And that's what he's describing. So he draws this image, and that's where I want us to take a look at here. He draws this image, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. So he's giving a warning, right? And what's the warning about? This is one of those opportunities where I'm going to softball it right over the plate when you guys gets the answer. What's the warning about? Okay, trusting man. Does that mean that I should be an untrusting person and not trust anybody around me? In, in what way are we trusting man here? Yes, okay, to trust man more than God. To take a human being's view of the world and to hold that as authority over what God thinks or what God says. And what is the result of doing that? What does he say? Cursed. What does that mean to be cursed? Yeah. His anger. God's anger will be kindled as a roaring fire against them. Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Which man? Which man is identified here? This one's a little more like a curveball. It's not that hard, though. You can still hit it. Men in leadership, they're part of it. Ourselves. Men who do not use godly counsel. Pretty much any man. Anyone who presents another view on life that is not God's view on it is included. And like Kathy said, that even includes me. Cursed is the man who trusts, who places his faith, who puts the weight of his being onto what someone else thinks, even himself. Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength. Please make sure we understand. He's not saying that when Martha says she's going to be over, you know, to drop the kids off at four, that I should sit there and go, really? You know, that, that's not what he's saying. I'm, I'm not supposed to be this skeptical, uh, hard to get along with curmudgeon 
You know, I'm supposed to, you know, it's not that. It's who do I place my faith in? Who do I believe to help me understand the reality of our world? And if I place my faith in what you think or what this author thinks or in what anything else, what God's word says, what God communicates to us is, listen, you need to trust me. So he says, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength whose heart turns away from the Lord. Let me give you a picture of what that looks like. Verse 6, he's like a shrub in the desert. I know all of us are sitting there going, man, that's what I want to be. Just the image, right? Yeah, right? Isn't that it? We're like, that's how, that's how you know, like, lovers speak to each other, right? Oh, babe, you're like a thorny bush in the desert. You're all dried up and shrivelly. That's not usually the kind of image, right, for us? Honestly, that's his point. He says, He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. So, let's put the shrub brush, this, this, this um, thorn bush, maybe on this side. Verse 7, he's trying to make a point. Verse 7, blessed is the man. Congratulations, literally is what he says here. When you see that blessed, congratulations to the man who trusts in the Lord. Whose trust is the Lord. Notice he he says it twice. Why do you say that, parents? Why do you say things more than once? You're hoping one of them will land, right? Right? You're just hoping one of them will get through. Maybe the first one will bounce off, but maybe the second one will get through. He's repeating himself. Verse 8, let's take the image back again, because this is a very purposeful image. He, the one who trusts the Lord, is like a tree planted by water, and it sends out its roots by the stream. And it does not fear when the heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. So what's his image over here of the one who trusts in what God says, the one who believes the Lord? The solid, substantial tree. And, and you can see this. We, we use this. If you've been around here for a little while, you know that we love this image of this tree planted by the stream, right? This fresh, clean water that feeds it. Its roots go deep down into that. And it grows. And as it grows, what happens to a fruit tree? Fruit just pops out. It doesn't sit around and go, how am I going to make fruit? Okay? It just looks up and goes, wow, look at that. Okay, fruit begins to grow on it. And, and look, at, look at some of the realities of this. It does not fear when the heat comes. In those dry days, what happens to the bush in those dry days? It dries up and dies. What happens to the tree? It lives. In fact, there's, there's, there's actually um, redwoods that they've found. Now again, I know they're not fruit-bearing trees. But there's redwoods that they found that have survived forest fires. When that heat turns on, they're strong and they continue to grow. And, and it 
it's not anxious in the year of drought. What happens to corn when there's no water? Look at our Midwest right now, right? And then look at your wallet. Because <laughs> you're going to see it all over the place through this, aren't you? Corn dies. They were hoping this year for a record crop. It looked like the best year ever. But now a few weeks of drought, all of it's gone. The trees, though, you don't hear them talking about the trees dying. Even in that drought, these trees are stable and sturdy. That's the image that Jeremiah is presenting. It's not just his image. It is God's image. God is saying, listen, I'm presenting two ways, two thought processes for you as you walk through this. So he presents these two images here. And what we want to do is kind of pull these into a picture. This, th- this is a picture that, that will be helpful to us. Okay? I, I think it will help us to, to kind of understand our life and our world a little bit better because there's a couple different components in this picture. So the picture looks like this. You've got the thorn bush and the fruit tree, and we've got the heat. So, so here's these image. This big picture really is going to help us understand what life in this fallen world is like. It's going to help us to understand who we are as fallen human beings. It's going to help us to understand who He is as Savior and Lord of all things. And how God progressively transforms us by His grace. So, this drawing has more than just what's inside this passage. But this passage comes closest biblically to help us to see all this. I think all the elements are in this passage. But it's important for us to just kind of see these these different things. And what I want to do is just kind of pound through those uh, pretty quickly. But, But... There's a lot of biblical information that's here, but it really kind of helps give sort of order to our our world and understanding the way that God works in our lives. And once we begin to uh, recognize these elements, one of the things that you're going to see is that you begin to see them all throughout the Bible. You can kind of take this this chart in your brain, and as you read through a passage... You're going to find many passages as you read through stories. You're going to see many stories that this actually would help you to understand and explain that story. When that happens for us, one of the things it does is it makes the Bible way more helpful and interesting for us. Because there's times where we read the Bible and we think, I don't necessarily know what this is. I don't, I don't get how I'm supposed to think about this. This just may be helpful to you as you as you read Scripture. That's one of the reasons why I present it. The second one is it may just help you and me as we go to think through our lives to understand why do I do what I do? Why do I react the way that I react? That seems so out of character. Why did my, why did my sister do that? Why did my brother do that? I, I think it's really helpful. We really will actually grow in practical wisdom as we walk with the Lord down the road of personal change. Because what is God's calling for our lives? 
He's changing us. He's transforming us into the image of Christ. So that's God's rule. So let's just run through a couple of these uh, different things. The heat. Okay? You, you see that again mentioned there in verse um, 8. Th- this idea of heat. And in this diagram, what we've kind of done is say, hey, the heat up there is this question. What's your situation? What's the situation? Like we said, Jeremiah's life was a very difficult one. He knew what it was like to face the heat. He knew what it was like spending his whole ministry calling the people of God and the kings of the land to repent. Literally, the word that's repeated 100 times in the book of Jeremiah is repent or turn. Bottom line is you and I are always reacting to the things that happen around us, are we not? We react to the things that happen in our lives. Maybe it's someone who treats us wrong. How about our car when our car breaks down? How about your furnace when your furnace breaks down? (laughs) How about that coworker who maybe takes credit for what you did? How about a test? And you didn't know you were going to have the test that day. You forgot. How about a new computer, you know, either operating system or software to use at work? All of these types of things cause a reaction in us, do they not? All of us react to the things that happen to us. But let's draw this another way. That sense of heat is not just the bad things that happen in our lives, but is it not also the good things that happen in our lives? You get money that you didn't expect. Maybe even win the lottery. Maybe suddenly you actually get recognized at work and they seem like they like you for once. Maybe someone actually gives you a car. I don't know. There's a lot of different types of things that could happen in this. But this sense of heat is simply saying, you know what? Whether it's the scorching heat of difficulty or the unexpected rain of blessing, you and I will always respond to whatever comes down on top of us. And the Bible's honest about the things that happen here. You'll recognize the world of the Bible because it's the world that you and I live in every single day. So as you're reading narratives, as you're reading about what's going on, you're going to see something happens to somebody. And what we're going to notice is that there's two ways that our hearts react. So let's go over to the right there and let's look at the thorns. How do I react? How do I react? What do I want and what do I believe? So what you can see here is is right here is the thorn. And we're going to point this out. This is the bad root. This is a sinful bad root. And the question is, what do I want? What do I believe? You'll see next to it is, okay, bad fruit that begins to grow on there, these these thorns. How do I react? And then on top of it, you'll see, what do I reap? What are the consequences of my life? You and I are never, ever passive. We always respond to the heat or to the blessing, the rain in our lives. 
you, you can think through all these different categories, but the Bible helps us to see how we react to the heat in our hearts, and then it becomes our outward behavior. Remember, this always starts with the heart. I'm not angry because my car broke down. My car just shows me that I'm angry. My car didn't make me angry. We've talked about this a lot together. I'm not impatient because you made me impatient. Because, you know, like Josh got to sit in traffic yesterday for an hour or two just waiting to kind of get up the coast. It's not that you drivers make me impatient. You just happen to reveal it. You know how to press the button that shows it in my life. You, my kids do not make me, my dog does not make me (laughs) angry. As much as I want to blame that thing. Last night, I finally fall asleep, right? I'm tired. I'm very tired last night. I finally fall asleep. Then I wake up like 15 minutes later because the dog is licking. And you know what I found? Anger. I found real anger. And she did not make me angry. What it did was it simply showed that I am an angry person. She found a way to tap into it. But it made me angry. We react to our circumstances. The Bible reminds us that sinners respond to this fallen world sinfully. My dog is a fallen creature. But she didn't make me sin. I just responded to my fallen world sinfully. And each reaction yields a whole harvest of consequences. So let's think about this. A couple of things. Thorns are about the biblical category of fleshly wisdom. That's what separates thorns from the tree. Okay? From, from the bad root, from the good root. This is fleshly wisdom. Foolish responses that come all too naturally to us when hard things happen. This is me listening to me. This is me listening to my culture. This is me deciding that, you know, I know better than God about how to handle these things. Someone speaks unkindly to to us. So what do we do? We let our bitterness grow. Something unexpected happens and we respond by denying it. Or avoiding it. Or blaming We're seeking to take control. Negative things come our way and we allow ourselves to doubt God and let our participation in worship and ministry just go. We're blessed with unexpected money and we spend it all on ourselves. We don't get the raise that we thought we deserved. So we work half as hard. Scripture makes it clear that these responses are not forced upon us by the pressures of the situation. What I do comes from inside of me. The things that happen to me will influence my responses, but will never determine them. Yes, they influence. But they don't determine them. Rather, 
These responses flow out of the thoughts and the motives of my heart. This is why you can have five people in the very same situation. You could have five people sitting in traffic with Josh yesterday. And I'm guessing that there were five very different perspectives on that. May have depended on if your AC was working or not. May have been depending on if you were going back to work or headed away for a week of vacation. But five people were in exactly the same circumstance. If it was caused by what was outside of them, they would all have had the same reaction. Because if traffic makes me angry, everybody would be angry. The differences of what's inside. We're going to circle through here because we've got the, the thorns over here. I want to come down here to the cross, though. I just want to mention that. The cross really asks this question, who is God? And what does He say? And what does He do in Christ? Who is God? And what does He say? And what does He do in Christ? It should be a tremendous encouragement to us that the God of the Bible presents Himself as an ever-present help in our trouble. Obviously, the ultimate example of that is Christ who took the name Emmanuel and came to a fallen world to live, to die, and to rise again. And He continues to be God with us as He indwells us with His Spirit. Remember as we went through the story, what was the thing? One of the things that stood out was the fact that God never passively sat on the sideline. God always involved Himself. God came to people. He did not just come with judgment or justice and say, wow, look at how badly you messed this up. Instead, God came to help, to come alongside. He gives us everything that we need to respond to life in godly ways. Did you catch that in our scripture reading today? Everything we need for life and for godliness. Right? That's what God gives to us. The promise of the cross extends beyond renewed strength or enhanced wisdom. Christ gives us not just principles, not just standards, not just clearer rules. Christ gives us Himself. It's one thing to talk to tech support. It's another thing to have somebody with you who knows how to help you who comes alongside of you. Christ gives us Himself, and in so doing, He's remaking us from the inside out. He's remaking us from the inside out. If you are a believer, you are in the process of being remade to reflect the very character of Jesus Himself. And your Lord is employing every circumstance and every relationship in your life to accomplish that goal. Do you believe that? Because that's what God says. Every circumstance. That means God is using my dog to transform me into the image of Christ. That's hopeful. That's a reason to have a dog. I don't think there's any other, but that's a reason to have a dog. I used to love dogs too. That's the great thing. My kids love my dog. But God's using that. Every relationship. Every relationship. 
Let's just hit the fourth one here, the fruit side. The fruit side. How is God calling me to seek Him in repentance and faith? How is God calling me to seek Him in repentance and faith? Because of what Christ has done for us, we can respond to the same old pressures in a brand new kind of way, can't we? When we're blessed, we can actually look for ways to bless others. In trouble, we run to God and not away from Him. We don't seek to avoid life, but we move towards it with courage and with faith. We don't take vengeance, but instead we entrust ourselves to the only wise judge. This is the life that the presence of God and the grace of Christ make possible. These new responses produce good fruit in our lives and in the lives of others. So let's just take, a, let's just take an example of this and we'll be done. But you look at it and you say, the heat, what's my situation? What's my situation? If something comes up in my life, say something kicks up and suddenly it's, it's um, a physical. I, I become sick or, or, or my back hurts or, or something physical lands. Does that affect us? Oh, yeah. And the people who felt it most recently probably know it the best, right? Isn't it funny? Because if someone else breaks their arm, or I'm thinking like Sarah's leg. Remember when Sarah had that big cast on her leg? When I think through that, I think, yeah, that hurts. But I get over it pretty quickly. When you're in that situation, it hurts, doesn't it? Let's not be people who look at other people's pain and judge it by our personal circumstances. Part of our calling is to really understand, wow, that really does hurt more than I understand, and I probably need to understand that more. But, but say something physical like that came. Say you went through something physical. What's the reality Essentially, we would drop down here and we'd say, boy, my human reaction, my fleshly reaction, my fleshly wisdom is going to sit there and say, what do I want? What do I believe? What are some of the types of things that you might want if you were to have been the person who broke their leg? What are some of the things that we might have wanted or some of the things that we might have been tempted to believe at that point? Go ahead and throw some out. Not to have a broken leg. That is a very good thing that we would want. And why would I not want a broken leg? Okay, Diane? I can't, I'm being held back. I cannot do what I want to do. What else? Someone else had some... Yeah, so suddenly now I might look at it and go, well, hey, I'm bringing home needed income for this family and I can't do what I need to do what's then the reaction if I start to think that way if I follow that kind of logic I sit there and go hey my family needs me to survive financially what do I begin to do what do I, how do I begin to react yeah God how could you let this happen don't you know this is terrible timing there was a time when I was 18 and I really didn't have a job and I really didn't want to work. That would have been okay then. 
some guys are still out there and they're 30 and they don't have a job and they don't want to work. You know, that's a whole different ballgame. But, but what, God, how could you let this happen? So how do I begin to react? I begin to call into question who? God's very heart. Because I can't trust him. What, what would be another reaction that might start? Because there's going to be multiples, aren't there? If I'm the breadwinner and I've been hurt and I can't work now, I might call into question, I probably will call into question, my sinful heart will call into question God's goodness. What else might I be worried about? Okay, a ripple effect. What do you mean? Sure. God, this is going to negatively impact the rest of my family now. And what are some of the ways that that would begin to negatively impact my family? Not being able to pay my bills. What if I can't pay my bills? What if I end up with the dreaded bad credit score? Or worse? Because what are some of the implications that will run through our brains at this point? I could lose my home. I could lose my home. What if my kids can't eat? I mean, think through some of these things, right? Aren't these the places that we go when we begin to react? So what, what might be another reaction that starts to come out of that? If, we, if we're thinking that way and we begin to say, God, how could you do this to me? I'm going to lose my home. I become anxious. When I become anxious, what do I begin to do? What, what, I mean, what do some of you guys do? Okay, take it out on the family. The dog takes it right on the chin, right? <laughs> Once again, that dog, yes. Let me get Peter, and then we'll go to Lisa. Peter, I saw you. I have got to do something right now to fix this situation. God helps those who help themselves, and I'm helping myself right now, right? That's so true. It's what we do. Lisa. So what are some of the types of consequences that can come out of it? Just take, like Tim talked about, how it begins to flow into the rest of the family. When I start taking that anxiety and that fear out on the rest of the family, what are some of the potential consequences for my family? Sarah? Okay, yeah. I automatically begin to draw away. I isolate myself from God. Rather than going to the provider, I go to myself. How does it, when I start to draw away, do I only draw away from God, Vic? What do you? Th- yeah. And what are some of the consequences potentially of pulling away from our kids or from our spouse? Yeah. Yeah. So it can have serious consequences on our relationship with our children that will go past just maybe that time where we don't have that income coming in. It could really affect our marriage, right? Tim. Mm. It's hard to be a servant when we feel like everything rests on our shoulders. So now I have to just leave you to be able to be the great provider. And when I become the great provider of my family, what's the reality? I'm replacing God. But there are deep consequences that flow with this. 
If I've got to go out and I've got to get the job, I've got... I mean, there could be physical things that begin to impact us, right? If, if I sit there and go, hey, this all weighs on me, I've got to do this, some of the consequences of my anxiety is, you know what, I don't care if I'm better yet, I'm going to go do this, I've got to take care of this because no one else cares, no one else can take care of me. In one sense, you could just follow this path for a little bit, couldn't you? Begin to think through the consequences. You can find this biblically. You can find great passages that show this. Paul is very willing to talk about these types of things. The potentials. But that's that bad root. I want us to notice here, but what's the work of the Holy Spirit? I hope that as we start walking through this, some of you, I can imagine, probably are kind of frustrated with me right now because you think, what? I'm not supposed to work? I'm not supposed to try and do these things? What, am I supposed to just passively sit on the side and let my house just get taken? What do you mean? I'm hoping that if one sense, we all just sit there and go, yeah, I know exactly what that feels like. Every single one of us knows exactly what it feels like to say, God, I don't think I can trust you right now. Right? I mean, can we not just admit that? God, I can't let go of this bitterness because if I did... I can't trust you to take care of this. I can't trust you to, to hold this person to account. God, I, I can't let go because I have to take care of this. But the work of the Holy Spirit is to draw us to Christ. So praise God that He is involved in us. He is not letting you simply sit over there. Instead, what's He doing? He's drawing you. And how is He drawing you? He's drawing you through His Word. He's calling to you. He's bringing other believers alongside. Because we've talked about how community is necessary. This is one of God's gifts to us. People who lovingly, carefully, they don't denounce us, they don't destroy us, they just walk with us and say, hey, I I know you're struggling with us, or I can imagine you are. Let me hear where you are. Let me listen to you. Let me remind you of who God is for you. I'm not angry at you for this. I'm not seeing you as a failure for this. Instead, I'm saying, I want to walk with you in this. The Holy Spirit's drawing us to see, man, who is God? And what does He say? What does He do in Christ? So if we looked at that and said, who is God in this situation? For this person who can't work and is beginning to be marked by, by fear, what's one of the things that we've said about who God is? What would be a truth about God that would help us? Okay. So he's a God of generosity who has a whole body that carries out in, in physical form what he, should, what he does. Who else is God? Isn't God our provider? Isn't God the one who knew how to feed a million Israelites as they walked through the wilderness for 40 years and fed them every single day? And let's remember, not one of them had a job. Please, again, don't hear me saying you should not have a job. Because what that probably is, is right there. Right? Do you see how quick? We just, man, we go right there. 
One of the funny things about this is that right now the fruit tree and the thorns are separated from each other. I actually think that it's more likely you need that to, to kind of show the diagram, but I have a feeling more that the, the vine tends to grow up around the tree. It just takes seconds. It just takes seconds, doesn't it? And, and, and don't I, when I'm, when I'm encouraged by God, when I'm able to believe that God is my provider, when I'm able to believe that God loves my family more than I do, when I'm able to believe that God, when he says, hey, look at the birds of the air. If I know how to take care of them and provide for them, don't I know how to take care of you? And if I look at God and say, what has God done in Christ? Jesus said, I came to heal your deepest brokenness, the the bankruptcy you never even saw. And I died for that. Why wouldn't I also with that take care of everything else that you need? God is like a kind surgeon. He will cut, and he will cut deeply. But only as much as he needs to, and only to remove what is harmful to you. And yet that kind surgeon will at times say, your lot now is chemotherapy. I will put you into deep and abiding pain to bring healing for you. And it's going to touch Areas with our kids, isn't it? God is not so kind that he forgets to be holy. What does he want for us is this side to have this good fruit because this is to seek God in repentance and faith. God, you know what? I'm sorry. I really thought that the universe hung on my shoulders and that I had to be the provider. But you know what? I don't. That's just who I am, God. I'm the guy who thinks I'm more important than I really am. I'm sorry, would you forgive me and would you help me? That's repentance. What's what's some of the fruit that comes to somebody who sits there and still says, well, I don't know what I'm going to do for work. My, My brother literally went on vacation last week, got home on Monday, went to work on Tuesday, got fired that morning. He's a truck driver. So if any of you know truck drivers, you know that there's no such thing as benefits. There's no vacation time to pull on. So that means he went for a week without pay and came home to another couple weeks without pay. So so he would understand this. What do I do? But to walk through that whole process, to come and sit there and go, wait, no, God, I repent. I'm sorry. I know that you take care of my family. I know that you love me. I know that this is not a bad trick that you're playing on me. I know and believe that you love me and you're working in my life. What, would, what, kind, of, what kind of fruit would you expect to see start growing on his tree during those times? Jake. Yeah. Patience. Patience to be able to wait on God. Lisa, hope to see how God takes care of him and his family during this time. 
will, will, will help him to live in hope for the future. Faith. To really just know, I can lean on God because He is there for me. Isn't that the kind of things that we want? How about peace? A lot of people talk about peace all the time, right? Tim. Hmm. Yeah. So to see and experience God's faithfulness. Which allows them then to be faithful to their spouse and to their kids. That peace, what kind of what kind of consequences would peace bring to our kids when they see their dad there? Pretty powerful, right? Because a lot of us have seen the other side. What about, what about a dad who's marked by, you know, just that, that ability to trust God as his provider? He's actually free to continue to be generous. He doesn't have to kick the dog. He doesn't have to get angry with the little annoying things that his kids do. Isn't that really the consequences that we want? What this, what this diagram shows us is one really critical thing. One really critical thing is every moment, every situation that happens is really an invitation to your heart. And the question that's going to come down is, are we going to be people who live by faith and believe that it's the heart that produces the actions? Or are we going to be people who who live by trusting ourselves and maybe deny that it's my heart, it's what's in me that causes the actions, the consequences. It's hard to own that part. But let me remind us in the cross here One of the massive truths of that is that Jesus has not left you on your own. Romans 6 and Romans 7 are just great passages. But the reality is that you and I are no longer instruments of unrighteousness. You know what that means? It means that Jesus is working in your life and in my life so that we don't have to live here. He's actually changing us from the inside out, helping us. It's probably going to be way slower than we wish. We're going to feel like, God, couldn't you have finished that yesterday? But he's working this inside of our lives so we are no longer slaves to distrusting God. We're actually slaves to righteousness. We become instruments of righteousness. No matter what our backstory is, no matter what we've done, no matter what somebody else might look at, Jesus is looking at it right now and saying, no, I'm working. I'm helping you to trust me, to lean on me, to follow me.
I hope this picture helps us because I hope internally you and I, when we talk to each other, we might look at it and say, hey, what kind of reaction are you going right now? Where's your heart? And help each other to, to lean on and trust God in his promises. That's why we gather every week to point each other to trust God and his promises. We pray for us. Lord, we've gone over time. I'm thankful, though, for your truth. I want to pray that you would help us as people. Lord, to, um, to realize that even though the heart is deceitful and utterly wicked, God, that that won't stop you. So I want to ask that you would work in our lives. And I want to ask that you would help us to be people that trust you. Please cause that repentant heart to flourish in us. Lord, help us to trust you. In your name we pray. Amen.